Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, it's Tuesday 19th of May. I'm Andy Brassel, she's Jules Breach, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Coming up this week, there is actual football to talk about with the return of the Bundesliga. I was working on that this weekend and Jules was enjoying it, so we're going to talk about how the experience was for both of us while all the eyes of the football-watching world were fixed on Germany. And, of course, we'll be looking at your correspondence, as we always love to do, and it's at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy, at footballrambledaily.com if you want to get in touch. How was your Bundesliga weekend, Jules? Oh, it was it was wonderful, Andy. It actually felt to me like this was the first proper weekend we've had in weeks now because we had actual live football to watch. And we all know what it's like as football fans and, and obviously for us working in football as well, that our whole lives are structured around football. And it's the same as a fan. You look forward to the weekend because you look forward to watching your team play. And this weekend felt like a proper weekend again because we had actual live football to look forward to. And I'm pretty sure that everyone out there right now has got a Bundesliga team that they're following because (laughs) this is what we have got to look forward to for the next few weekends until the Premier League resumes, which we'll talk about as well. But yeah, I was super excited to wake up this weekend, just gone and and actually have football to watch. I, I like got ready for it and everything. Like I was going on a night out. I, I had a shower. I did my <laughs> hair, put some makeup on just to sit in front of the sofa with some snacks and, and, and watch a couple of games of football. But it was thoroughly enjoyable as a, as a fan to, to kind of experience that again for the first time in ages. But for you working on it, it must have been amazing to get back into a kind of proper mode of work. Yeah, we'll come to my weekend um, working in it in a minute though uh, because a man who was out there as very few international heads are at the moment and a man who's always out there is Cologne-based Archie Rintut who you may know from his work with um, Fox and The Guardian and the BBC, The Times, many others. Um, He was at Eintracht Frankfurt on Saturday and he was sort of at Cologne on uh, Sunday as well. Uh, So I spoke to Archie yesterday and started by asking him how his first weekend back at work on the ground was. It was a very strange weekend of work, Andy. I am not usually tested for my temperature before I go into a stadium, nor continually advised to keep a mask on at all times. But that's what happened on Saturday when I went to Eintracht Frankfurt against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Very eerie experience to be in that stadium in particular when there's no fans. Chelsea fans mm-hmm. would have seen it themselves firsthand when they came over for the Europa League semi-final. And the fact that Eintracht were playing Chelsea in that game was due to their fans. I remember being at the quarterfinal against Benfica that Frankfurt had. And there was this 20-minute build-up of just this one single song when they were all singing Eintracht Frankfurt Ole, I think it was. 
and at the end of that 20 minutes they scored it was just this kind of great moment of synergy where they just sucked the ball into the goal via Sebastian Roder. so <laughs> to, to then see the stadium just in this form it, it almost felt like I, I was I was looking into someone else's grief and I hadn't been invited. Um, so yeah, it was it was a strange experience on that front. But also, I in in Frankfurt com, in comparison to Cologne, the stadium has a perimeter fence going round it, meaning that fans can't really get within a good few hundred meters of it, regardless. Whereas in right. Cologne. Uh, they had to put the stadium into concert mode, i.e. they had to shut off the sides of it just with some pretty flimsy metal fencing, I would say. Um, And actually, as a result, normal life was just continuing on Cologne's answer to Hackney Marshes behind the stadium. Kind of people having picnics, playing American football, playing football, football tennis, you name it, everything was going on there. I, I even saw a guy with a lightsaber earlier in the day, um, <laughs> which he was swinging around. And I was like, you know what? Hey, it's your Sunday. You do what you want to do and you social distancing, fair play. Um, so yeah, that was odd. And then I watched the Cologne Mainz game with a colleague of mine, uh, Mark from Geist Blog, uh, in his car uh, with both of us wearing masks. Um, outside the was, stadium. Outside the stadium, in his car, wearing masks and he was hitting the car seat in jubilation when Cologne scored and <laughs> uh, then being a little bit quieter when Mainz equalized. Uh, so um, yeah, a, uh, a very odd weekend. Add to that the Cologne fans, all the, all the protests from a section of the ultras dumping a sofa outside the stadium on yes. Saturday, uh, which said against ghost games. And on it no, in, in German against Geisterspieler, gegen Geisterspieler. And uh, yeah, just to tie into that, uh, on the Tannoy in Frankfurt before the game, uh, the DJ whacked out Ghostbusters for a, <laughs> for a minute or so, which I thought was, you know, good form. Good form. So, so just to clarify, Archie, you were in the stadium at Eintracht Frankfurt because you're working for the Bundesliga's world feed, but international broadcasters are not currently allowed in the stadium with a strict limit on the amount of journalists and broadcasters that are allowed in. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's a very strict limit on it. There's only, I think, 10 written journalists who are allowed in right now. Mm. And I mean, just to explain to you the the kind of rigor here on who is allowed in, like the people who, like the, the guy who's in charge of accreditation at Cologne was not allowed into the stadium because it was over their limit. So wow. it's it's not like it's it's not like journalists are being discriminated against here at, on any level. Kind of everybody mm. is being limited, even um, even like uh, directors and, and board members on home team staff. I think they're limited to eight, and away teams can bring four. So yeah, it's uh, it's very very tight, and it's quite interesting for you, I suppose being on on both sides of it. I mean, normally, um, to give people a flavour, uh, when you cover a, a game, you get there uh, 
a couple of hours before and I know you're very well prepared you're very social as well there's a lot of people to speak to from all, all different uh, newspapers websites um, other TV and and radio stations I mean how was that side of it the, the the sense of going back to work but you're being so separate from from people about uh, in, in what's normally such a social setting some would say a little too social at times when I've got work to do. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was strange because, you know, I saw some members of the technical crew, uh, Cindy and Daniel, who I always work with, who, who work on, on the sound side of things. And mm. in a way, it was kind of nice to just watch a game with them um, because usually you're separated from them and, and just to see how they kind of take in a game. And also their concentration was was down. I, I remember one of them saying to me that they just found it hard to concentrate without the fans there. And I, I was finding it very similar. It's not easy to kind of see, I don't know, patterns of play in, in the game as well for, for me when you're, you're working in that kind of new environment. I could I, I could keep my concentration for about 15-minute periods, but then it would just kind of, kind of lapse off and you'd be distracted by a plane flying in overhead and that. So it was strange, but, and I, I think it was, it was very new for everyone. And I think that given the circumstances, I, I, I don't think that you could have expected the standard of play to be as high as it was. That mm. was, that, that was quite surprising for me. Just the fluidity that Gladbach's front, uh, front three or four were moving about with I was like I was I was stunned uh, and I okay you could say well Frankfurt just looked off it but to to move like that regardless of your opposition I you're going to create chances and I think they had about eight openings in the first half that I was just like you know what they they could be miles out in front here so I on, on that front it was just nice to get back to watching the sport in a way as well because yeah, like, you know, I I was watching marble racing the other week and was thinking, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> so talking of the actual game, I mean, you, part of your job to explain to people is you speak to the players directly after the game for, for television. Um, obviously, that was like you and them at either end of a very long stick on, um, on, on Saturday. How, yep. how did you get the impression they felt about it the players that you spoke to T to be honest the, the first thing i noticed was just how one thing hasn't changed and that is <laughs> football players still hate losing football matches <laughs> and and their mood is still very much tempered by what's just happened in the previous 90 minutes mm. and in in my position i the way i work is i try to I try to read what how the other person is feeling and then go from there. And yeah, I, I there's a bit of a kind of a, a culture over here on for, from the German side uh, that that I've seen on on kind of terrestrial TV channels of like that they're always trying to provoke the player. And I'm like, I, I think coming from an English culture where I, I think the general style is is you want to coax things out and everyone's very polite. Whereas yes. I've I've seen I've seen interviews on on terrestrial TV here, which basically start with "You lost the game, why?" and I'm like, "How? Why? Oh, like how could you do that?" Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, like the thing that really 
I, I got was that people are tired, uh, very like a lot more exhausted um, than, than usual. And yeah, maybe not having the fans there and the fact that, I don't know, I don't know if you can accuse players of, of, of maybe making more superficial de- decisions in their game as such um, because of it. It's difficult to really judge that. But and by superficial decisions, I mean maybe that you don't run for that ball in the corner that you might usually have gone for. Well, you're not um, spurred on kind of thing. Exactly. But then again, um, I was told on, on a rival podcast uh, this morning um, that uh, that the players had actually run a little bit more than usual, which I, I found interesting. So, in, in that sense, I, I found the game as a spectacle. It's it's interesting to learn, and I I guess we just have to treat this like one big scientific experiment, really, because like it, it, look, the league have said it's not what they want. It's not what anyone wants, really, mm. but. The hands have been forced by this pandemic and given what's happened i think that this right now is is the best outcome it was a very strange day all around completed when on the way back uh on on the autobahn i was passing uh the borussia mönchengladbach team bus or one of them because you're having to travel in separate buses right now so that they can do the requisite amount of uh social distancing and I didn't notice that the speed limit had changed from 130 to 100, and I subsequently got flashed just as I overtook them. So that was a, a fine <laughs> ending to to a very weird day. Archie Rintut there, and thanks so much, Archie, for joining us. Um, quite an interesting weekend. One so interesting. <laughs> Honestly, his stories about how he took in the football from the weekend are so contrasting because obviously – to, to get that insight of what it was like for a journalist to be inside one of those stadiums is fascinating. And then the complete contrast of then the following day, not being allowed in the stadium and having to watch it from his colleague's car is just, it's just hilarious hearing his stories, but, but fascinating from a, a broadcasting perspective, because we've all kind of been wondering what it's going to be like when football returns for everyone, both for fans and for, for those working in the stadiums and for the footballers too. But for him to tell us his stories about what that was like returning this weekend is, is really interesting. And, and thanks again to Archie for, for speaking to us. The bit I found most interesting about it is when you talk about the kind of social aspect, because that's one of the things that we're all so used to when we go to these matches is whether you're a fan or whether you're working there is it's all about that social environment, isn't it? You go to the football with your friends, with your family, or mm. you've got a season ticket. So you sit next to the same people every week in the stands or as a, as someone who works in the stadiums, you get to see most of the same people week in, week out when you go to these matches. And so to not be able to kind of mix in with your other colleagues, that must have been such a strange experience for Archie and everyone else at the stadiums. Yeah, and I, I guess that's work for everyone as they, they start to gradually um, move out of working from home and, and going back to to offices and um, factories and warehouses and, and, and wherever else people will be working. Um, but for me, doing the radio coverage of the, the, the Bundesliga at the weekend on, on both days, I mean, it was, it was an interesting experience because um, I did uh, – 
commentary of co-commentary sorry of um Dortmund versus Schalke on Saturday and Union versus uh, Bayern on the Sunday and with the Dortmund versus Schalke one it was particularly interesting because I was doing it together with um Toby Gillis and it was uh, broadcast on on talk sport and because of the social distancing toby and i couldn't see each other while we were doing it oh we were in, that's interesting we were, we were in separate booths so um I, my job as well was to say when there'd been a goal in the other games and explain what was going on in in, in the other games i mean um i, I believe on, on bt they had a, a goal show so it was a similar thing they would flip between games so the dortmund game was obviously our main game but i'd go oh there's been a goal at augsburg or there's been a uh, augsburg or there's been a goal at hoffenheim or, or, or whatever and um yeah toby had to kind of stay across that to know when to bring him in or i would send a whatsapp going there's been a goal at Wolfsburg or, or whatever because normally when, you, when you're co-commentating with someone you're in very close proximity and you can just yeah. like give them a nudge or 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 give them a nod or whatever and, and you're in so it's a sort of new way of working WhatsApp has been a bit of a saviour we've been using that as well on, on Jules and Andy whenever we've done interviews mm. let you guys into a bit of a secret on how we've communicated is whenever we're interviewing someone if we're doing it if we're doing the interview together we have our WhatsApp chat open and I'll just say Andy I'll come in with the next question here and then and then Andy will send one back and say all right I'll go next with the next question kind of thing and you do just have to find new ways of making things work for you I wanted to ask you mm. from a working perspective Andy with the commentary, did you find it more difficult, the fact that there weren't any fans in the stadium? Because part of your job as a commentator and a co-commentator is to kind of bring to life what's happening in the match and to kind of bring that energy, really. And without the fans in the stadium, I can just imagine that that must have been that little bit harder because you really do feed off the fans. And did did you find that a bit tougher to do or was it actually a challenge that you, you kind of enjoyed? It, it, it was okay, actually. At, at first, it was a bit of an unusual experience because of that sort of echoing. Um, because as you say, I think the thing about the Bundesliga is got this moment where it's centre stage, but actually the Bundesliga's unique selling point is the atmosphere. It's the fact that all the yeah. stadiums are full. It's the fact that the crowds are so close to the pitch. And funnily enough, the, the, the Premier League atmospheres, I, I think, have, have waned a little bit. And when you speak to overseas players who've come to play more recently, some of them have, have said to me that it's, it's not what they thought it would be. But that's not something you can say with Germany. And no doubt with the atmosphere, and what people have already always said about the Premier League in the, in, in the past and about English football in general is the way that the crowd dictates the way the game is played to a certain extent because it does make players run that little bit more. It does make them fly into tackles that that little bit more. And I think it was a little bit tentative at first because of that, because for the, the Bundesliga to project itself to the world, but without its greatest asset, it's quite a hard thing to, to do, I think. I think the players got there in, in the end, and, and for us certainly, it was something that you didn't have to think about one of the main things you normally have to think about on radio commentary because I, I think on TV commentary, people, commentators have to be aware of you don't have to talk the whole, whole time because people can see it or the vast majority of the audience mm. can see it while it's going on. Radio commentary, you have to, you have to be the eyes 
of the people who are listening to you. So it's a, it's a slightly different skill. But also, you need them to get the atmosphere. So one of the first things that, that, that someone uh, told me when I first started co-commentating, a producer told me, is when the, the commentator has finished saying, it's a goal, Roma have scored, uh, is Edin Dzeko, you leave a little pause because they want to hear the crowd are reacting before you come in and go, oh yeah, it was a great cross and it's a great piece of play from Florenzi who's been brilliant all day. You have to leave that little gap because whereas people need it described, they also need the sensation of being there. So I think that's less the case when you've got no crowd. Yeah, and and this whole new experience of watching football without fans in the stadium and and what we're calling this pandemic atmosphere in a stadium was very interesting watching as a fan from home for me at the start i was like just i was just couldn't get over how different it was i was like this mm. sounds so weird it does sound like a training game it does sound a bit like a sports hall I did not think it would be that echoey. I don't really know what I imagined it would be. I didn't really think about it before it happened, but I didn't ever imagine it would be as echoey as it was. That was one of the things that really took me by surprise. But I feel like it's one of those things that this weekend, so I watched the games on on BT and this weekend, I think they were almost damned if they did and damned if they didn't, because you can almost imagine that if, these TV companies that broadcast the games decided to put fake crowd noise onto the matches right from the start, there would have been thousands of people saying, oh, I don't like this. Why have they got fake crowd noise? I want to hear what it's like without it. So Mm. either way, you can't win because at the moment people are saying, oh, they should have put crowd noise on it. Well, we'll see what happens with the next round of fixtures. But I, for one, thought that it was actually quite interesting to hear these matches without the without the crowd noise for the first time and perhaps maybe in the future we'll see that change as as more of these games without fans more of these games behind closed doors get broadcast we might see that change but it's it is so strange watching football without any noise whatsoever i particularly liked dortmund's celebrations for their four goals as well each of them slightly different some of them they got a bit more carried away than others <laughs> but i did love harlan's little dance and he sort of smiled to himself didn't he when he when he scored that goal and at the end the fact that they still went over and did their kind of standard cheering to the crowd even though there was no one in the crowd i guess they're kind of doing that just for a bit of normality aren't they yeah and i th- i think that's it really isn't it I think you have to look at the fact that you know it's 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 not normal, but you have to do as much as as many of the normal things as as possible. And I know there are a lot of people um, on social media who who didn't enjoy it as as a spectacle, and they, they sort of come in two camps really. And obviously, the thing is always on 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 social media. Um, you know, if if people don't like something they delight in trying to make other people not enjoy it as well. And that was something yeah. we really saw during the, during the women's world cup. And obviously that was, that was completely, completely repellent really. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that struck me is that the two types of people who weren't into it. Now the people who weren't into it 
because they had a moral objection to it. I completely understand that, that think it's not appropriate, it's too soon for football to be back, that there are public health challenges. And there are a lot of those people in in, in Germany as well. So mm. it's not just about getting it right health and safety-wise, it's about winning the hearts and minds of people, and that will be a longer battle, I think. But the, the people who were saying, oh, there's no atmosphere, I've, I've got no time for that at all, because I just think, okay, it's not ideal, but we know why it's happening. It's so clubs can support themselves and we can create as much of a a normality as possible in in the future. If your sole objection is 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 not about the is it's just about the crowd noise. I I don't really I, you know it's it's not a normal world at the moment and you just have to live with it and as you say Jules get on with it as as close to normal as you possibly can. Yeah, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think bar the kind of opening few minutes of each game, the opening maybe 10 minutes where everyone, it's going to take them a bit of time to, to get back into the swing of things. I actually thought that the quality and the standard of football from, from the games I watched for sure was still of an extremely high standard considering yeah, that same. these guys have been out of match fitness and out of playing for almost three months I thought that the standard was pretty impressive one of the things I found interesting though is in terms of results there was only one home win across the whole weekend and that was Dortmund beating Schalke in the derby aside from that it was all draws and away wins and I wonder how much of that is down to the fact that they didn't have the home support behind them and I wonder whether that will have an impact on the Premier League's decision to, to restart football and how they do that. Thomas de Piszczek. On by Brandt. That's a bit better. Hazard. Great ball in. And Borussia. And strike first. And of course, of course, it had to be Erling Haaland. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble.
Are you struggling to find something to watch during lockdown? You've drained Netflix, rewatched all your old favorites, and now you need something new? Well, we're here to help. Join us for Clash of the Titles, the podcast where two movies with something in common go head-to-head in a fight to the death. Release the Kraken. Well, not death. We just decide which one is better. When they do a long shot of the crowd in the ivory tower, it's different to the close-up. And if you look closely, you can see E.T., Mickey Mouse, Chewbacca, (laughs) um, Ewoks, and C-3PO. So when Wolfgang Peterson went to Spielberg and went, yeah, uh, could you maybe um, re-edit uh, my, my movie? Uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg went, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm probably going to cut out? E-f***ing teammate. <laughs> I made that. Find your new favourite movie or revisit an old classic with me, Alex Zane, Vicky Crompton and Chris Tilly. New episodes out every Monday and Thursday. Clash of the Titles is a Stakhanov production. We've been quite lucky at Crystal Palace. The, the, the doctor, the manager, the, the chairman, it's all been transparent. We've had regular uh, Zoom uh, conference calls. I mean, no doubt that when I do return, if it's tomorrow morning, I'm probably returning to the safest workplace probably in the country at the minute. You're listening to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. You can always get in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble on Twitter and email us, Jules and Andy, at footballrambledaily.com. The latest on Project Restart on the way and some of your emails, Andy. Yeah, um, we've got a good one here from uh, Baris Koibasi, who has written in and said, oh, you're going to love this one, Jules. Uh, Hi, guys. I just wanted to give you what might be an unpopular opinion. I've quite enjoyed not having any football to watch, if I'm honest. (laughs) Lately, I've felt that there's so much football going on that you can indeed have too much of a good thing. Not having any football to watch for over two months has allowed me to actually miss it. And I think it will partially Mm -hmm. change my viewing habits. I'm spending more time with my family. I'm reading, doing puzzles, watching things I otherwise didn't have time for. And I wonder, although I highly doubt it, whether this will change how crammed the football calendar is or whether the appetite for football will just drive further expansion. Anyway, hope you and your families are staying safe and keep up the good work. Baz. Oh, Baz, that's actually quite nice, isn't it? And it does go to show that how much we all need football in our lives and how much we we all love it. And that's another reason why the weekend just gone was just so exciting. I just, I loved having football on. I loved just being able to kind of, even the games that I wasn't that into, I still had them on in the background in my house and I could sort of walk out the lounge and then walk back in and go, okay, something's happened now. And, you know, just kind of dip in and out of it, which was just a very nice experience to have again. And I have so missed football and having this break from it, uh, I think Baz is right. It does give you a new appreciation of it. Um, And we are potentially getting closer to the Premier League being back on. And I know that everyone was kind of watching to see how everything happened in Germany this weekend. And there was also a vote yesterday from uh, all of those in the Premier League to get training back up and running this week. And that has been agreed. So as of today, um, the Premier League clubs are able to start non-contact training in small groups. And I believe these groups are limited to uh, five people in each group and it's all non-contact. So they still have to practice social distancing. Um, One of my friends was actually one of the journalists who was in the press conference for Brighton and Hove Albion last week. As you might know, Brighton have been 
holding weekly press conferences ever since lockdown and journalists can um, apply to be involved in these press conferences and um, a journalist who works for Premier League Productions who's one of my friends was in that last week and she kind of gave me the lowdown on the things that they talked about and with regards to going back to training this week Graham Potter said that the the players would be training in a non-contact way they would all have individual footballs. So the players were not allowed to share footballs. They wouldn't be doing any actual match training. It would just kind of be back to fitness training in very small groups and that that would be limited to, I believe, around 75 minutes per session for each player. And the facilities themselves are not going to be open. They are only going to be allowed to drive in. They have to be wearing their kit for training. They're not allowed to go in and use the the changing rooms or the showers or anything like that. And then they have to go onto their individual pitches where they will meet in their small groups. And then that's how they will train. It's so different to what they're used to. And I think it will be fascinating to see how the rest of this week kind of pans out in this new kind of training setup. And it was very similar to the way in which things gradually evolved in in Germany. That they they started after going individually in uh, groups of five, still practicing social distancing, and then got on to right at the end, like just a, a week before, full training um, in a closed environment. Um, so that that was that that was something um, that I, I guess the Bundesliga is going to be the template. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's the idea. I mean, we've we've had a really interesting article um, about it in the Guardian by uh, Barney Rone yesterday. He's uh, redubbed uh, Project Restart, Project Refund, or um, you know, as he as he says, actually Project No Refund because um, never mind the cant he says about national morale and sporting integrity is to avoid repaying the broadcasters. And as, as he goes on to say, there is no shame in this or no need to pretend otherwise. I mean, I'm still not convinced that emotionally England is there and that a lot of English Premier League um, players and supporters are there um, but I guess this is a way to sort of test the water isn't it we know Germany is um, a- ahead of us in a, in a lot of public health elements like having a, a quarter of the the UK's death toll uh, and having uh, six times fewer new cases of COVID-19 diagnosed every day as Barney writes in in his article um, but you have to give your yourself an opportunity to start a little bit later and we, I, th- I think everyone knows that the Premier League is is, is nowhere near Germany. I mean, th- th- we've got this um, date of 15th of, of, of June mooted at the moment, but that's all it is, isn't it? It's a mooted date. Mm-hmm. It's it's nothing firm as of yet. And, and that is the way it has to be because England's not ready and the Premier League's not ready. Yeah, and Richard Masters yesterday in the meeting suggested that any proposal of a new date is all hinging on when teams begin contact training because the Premier League understands that the players aren't going to be ready to play football matches if they haven't been able to do any proper training 
together. It, it's it's completely impossible to expect them to just do this non-contact training and then all of a sudden in a couple of weeks' time be ready to play matches again. That would be unreasonable. And the Premier League understands that. I saw Harry Redknapp do an interview on Sky, I think it was yesterday, a couple of days ago maybe, where he was talking about, from a manager's perspective, how he gets his, how he used to get his teams ready to play in uh, in pre-season for a new season coming. And he said that things have changed so much over the years because nowadays players are so much fitter. They look after themselves so much better than what players in his kind of era did. And, and even, you know, um, after that, it's changed and developed so much since then. So he believes, and he was saying this in, in the interview, that he believes that in about four, well, when the players go back to training properly, he reckons that four weeks of training would be enough for the players to be ready to come back and play. And he he puts that down to the fact that at home, they all follow decent diets. During this lockdown period, they've all been looking after themselves, still knowing that the football could return at any time. They're not like players used to be where, you know, a lot of them used to not really look after themselves when they weren't playing, if you know what I mean. So they they nowadays are quite fit and would probably be ready to play within around four weeks' time was what Harry Redknapp was suggesting. And we'll just have to wait and see what the Premier League decides because I know from Graham Potter's press conference last week, he was a little bit more reluctant on that on to answer that as direct as, as say, Harry did, where he thinks, you know, four weeks would be a, a decent amount of time in training for the players. Graham Potter was saying it's so unknown because the players have never had this amount of time off. So exactly. how can you even how can you even kind of put a timestamp on it? He doesn't know how long it's going to take him to get the players ready to play matches again because he said that the standard rule you follow is if you have six weeks off, you then have six weeks in training to get back to full fitness and to get back to match fitness. Well, the players have had three months off. So does that mean you need three months in training? He was like, I don't know the answer to that question. And that is so true of this situation. It is so difficult to know the right answers and to suggest anything because no one's been in this situation before. No one has ever had this amount of time off of football before ever because ordinarily pre-season, it's, you know, like we said, about six six to eight weeks maximum. And in that time, there's still often sometimes friendlies or you can go on pre-season tours. So there are all these sort of things that happen that, you know, gradually build you up to the new season. Whereas at the moment, the players have had none of that. Yeah. And you you can't know um, because whereas I appreciate the fact that footballers are a lot fitter in in, in these days than they were in eras past, uh, the fact is it means the game is a lot more physically demanding. Um, so that makes an, an enormous difference, I think. And um, also it means that the stoppage is a far greater drop-off in their in their daily routine. Um, we understand that um, players have um, home gyms in many cases, certainly in the Premier League and large gardens and all the rest of it. That doesn't even cover the, the, the mental aspect of it, something this unplanned, this unprecedented. Um, so I, I think... I get the feeling that, that the players want to go slowly. And I think we have to respect that if if, if that is the case. Um, of course, there's also been um, the, the, the question of maybe there will be a rebate to the broadcasters because um, the, the, the product 
for want of a better word, is is not in the same condition as it was when the contracts were initially agreed. And perhaps um, to maybe allege the impact of that, um, there'll be um, clubs and the Premier League collectively offering a little bit more to broadcasters going forward. We've we've had um, something here from Scott Rosie. Um, thanks, Scott, for for getting involved. It says, hi, Jules and Andy. While listening to Miguel, Miguel Delaney, of course, was on last week talking recently about potential issues with the, with the broadcasters paying the full amount to the Premier League due to the stadiums being empty. I wonder if there could be a bit of a trade-off. Do you think it would be possible to temporarily lift the Saturday 3pm kickoff blackout, which doesn't allow games to be shown on UK TV. The rule is in place to encourage fans to attend their local games, but given fans aren't allowed to attend any local games at the moment, it could be a good opportunity to allow broadcasters to show more games. This could be enough for broadcasters to agree to be paying the original amount. I mean, this would directly affect you, Jules, wouldn't it? I mean, you could be doing a goal show instead of BT Sports Score, couldn't you? Yeah, and we've done that already this season at times when we've had, um, I think it was the FA Cup rounds when they yeah. showed the games at different times this this season. They kind of spread the games out across different times throughout the day. And it was so much fun doing that. It was amazing. Um, we, we really enjoyed doing that in the studio. It's very different to doing a, a normal score show where the, the whole mechanics of what you're saying is is very different because you're having to describe things ordinarily because often the viewer can't see the footage that we're watching. So being able to do a goals type show is very different to that because you can very much show the pictures, you can see what's happening and it just changes the dynamic of the show. But that is potentially something that could happen. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess one of the, the positive things to come out of the meeting yesterday from the Premier League is that the the time scale has been a little bit more relaxed because the Premier League is supposedly going to be given extra time to decide when it hopes to restart the season after UEFA moved the executive committee meeting from the 27th of May to the 17th of June. So whereas before they're almost it almost felt like they were under a bit of pressure to decide when the Premier League was going to come back because of the UEFA deadline. Now it looks as though that's relaxed, Standy. So it gives them a bit more time to make a decision that is right and that we can hopefully get back to football when it's safe and healthy to do so. Yeah, that's right. And um, clearly um, th- this is going to affect the EFL as well, who've already started making their own decisions. We know the will of the championship is to carry on. The will of League Two is to stop and of course, it's a, a far more um, match day economy. So it's, it's a little different, isn't it? Because I know for a, a lot of League Two clubs and for a lot of League One clubs as well, it would cost them money to put on the game um, with, without any fans um, being there. Um, but we'll see what happens with League One. We've got an email here from uh, Mike Benk that says, I uh, hope you're both well. I'm a Swindon Town fan who's currently enjoying the weirdest title celebration ever, alone in my flat, hoping all the other EFL clubs agree to it and we get a promotion. <laughs> While it's good to finally have some clarity over the season, th- thoughts are now turning to what happened next. Uh, Lee Power, our chairman, said this week that if nothing else changes, then up to 40% of EFL clubs, Swindon included, could go bankrupt by the time 
the next season gets underway due to the loss of gate receipts and season ticket revenue, which normally comes in around now. Even online viewing won't come close to matching this. There will be greater costs in order to comply with health and safety regulations. Now, Michael also points out that um, Burton have announced the departure of Nigel Clough because of financial reasons, Colchester releasing players. Um, and he goes on to say... There is no doubt that this is going to be a difficult few months for many clubs from a financial perspective, and there doesn't seem to be an obvious solution. As fantastic as it was to see Harry Kane sponsoring Leighton Orient, this is hardly a long-term viable answer. Unless players are prepared to accept significant wage cuts, at least until crowds return, the only way forward um, I can see is if the Premier League offer some support. Thanks for all the Ramble podcasts over the lockdown. They've made these last few months much easier. Um, thanks, Mike. I, I think... The interesting thing is there, and firstly, the Harry Kane thing is just absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, really, amazing. really, really good. And that's what we spoke about weeks ago, wasn't it? The idea that players aren't going to just join up with club initiatives. They're in a position now, especially with the um, opportunities that social media allows them to be unfiltered in contact with fans and, and, and the public that they really can take the ball by the horns and you feel more confidence I think in in English and British players today being able to, to to do that so that was great to see interestingly in terms of being in in um, concert with the Premier League um, I saw Darren McAnthony of uh, Peterborough United the owner of Peterborough United doing um, an interview with The Guardian in which he said unless uh, they can get better assistance from the Premier League, they might stop taking their loan players, which I think is a very interesting thing because clearly it's a, a model that a lot of Premier League clubs like to use. I mean, I get the impression that like a lot of other people in this situation, Darren McAnthony was sort of brainstorming here. But the, the bit that Mike says about um, unless players are prepared to accept significant wage cuts, at least until crowds return, I mean... I don't think this is even a question, this little part, when it comes to League One and League Two, Jules. I don't know what you think, but because players tend to be generally on shorter contracts, particularly in League Two, I mean, there is going to be an enormous amount of choice for clubs because there will be so many players out of work. I mean, that, that, that's, the, that's the honest truth of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think a few weeks ago... Um... I can't remember who it was, but I think someone else wrote in and, and asked the question of whether we think this pandemic and this pause in football might actually be of benefit to the younger English players in this country and that the Premier League clubs might actually start to buy more players from the lower leagues rather than looking abroad and bringing in um, foreign imports. I think that now that things have progressed a bit more at the time I wasn't really sure I, I, if I'm being completely honest a few weeks ago but as with anything in this situation everything's changing so quickly and and from one day to the next you can have a different answer for something but but now it almost does feel like that is a real possibility that actually we could really benefit from seeing some extremely talented players from the football league get opportunities higher up in the leagues because of this situation. And that's something that hopefully will be a positive out of this. 
just before we finish, got one more uh, piece of cor- correspondence. This is from Alejandro Comas Short. You'll see why I've dropped this in, Jules, straight away. It <laughs> says, Jules and Andy question. It says, uh, hello, dear Jules and Andy. Love the show and the issues you talk about. I'm also a huge Portland Trailblazers fan. And this maybe is a more Andy focus, but also Jules question. If you're now a basketball fan as well, uh, Andy, I was wondering if you support any team in basketball or, or, or are you m- more a fan of players and watching games? I instantly thought of our former rivals, Seattle supersonics as a historic team, cruelly stolen away from their city to another locale with a shiny new arena. Well, actually, yeah, I do think about the Seattle supersonics quite a lot because them becoming the Oklahoma <laughs> city thunder is a bit like the whole Milton Keynes thing, apart from the fact that Milton Keynes have been very, very unsuccessful and the Oklahoma City Thunder mm-hmm. have been quite successful. Um, it goes on to say, um, I, I hope uh, if you do not love the exploits of Damian Lillard as much as I do, you can support the Supersonics fans' plight and a team there if they ever ever get another. I realise anyway that this isn't uh, the Basketball Ramble Daily Network, although this I would listen. This is very niche. This is I, so niche. <laughs> I would listen if you and Jules had that as a segment. You know, ah, okay. something I mean, to think about. I can, you don't have to make a decision ask, now, Jules. <laughs> I can just ask all the questions because I will have hundreds. <laughs> I'm actually so into basketball at the moment, though, because of Last Dance on Netflix. How good is that series, by the way? I'm well, this is, four this episodes is, in and it's just amazing. This is exactly how um, Alejandro justifies it at the end. He says, um, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts as I feel the last dance has given the sport some extra <laughs> buzz go. in the UK. Best wishes and much love, Alejandro from Portland, Oregon. Well, can I Brilliant. just say, Damian Lillard is huge in our house because he's, he's a big hero of, of my older son. So there you go. Ah, oh, lovely. So, do you know what? The park just outside my house, there's one just at the top of my road. I walked up there the other day and I noticed for the first time there's a basketball hoop there. And if only I had a basketball, I'd be out there after Jules and Andy today shooting some hoops because I've got a bit of a bug for it. After watching Last Dance, honestly, there is something about watching greatness, isn't there? And just seeing the success and the talent and just how hard all of those guys push themselves to be the best, if that makes sense. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch. I'm, I'm absolutely loving that. And every single night this week, I will stick on another episode of that. And hopefully by the end of the week, I'll have, I'll have finished it, but it's been fascinating watching it. Have you finished it, Andy? I'm, I've, I've got to episode nine. So uh, we're, we're saving up number 10. It's one of those shows that's so intense that, that you can't binge it. But the, the yeah, sort of access that the sort of access there is, I would love there to be something equivalent for for football. In fact, send us in what you think are the sort of football documentaries, listeners, that you think come close at least to matching up with the Last Dance in terms of in terms of access and in terms of footage and and talking heads and all that sort of stuff. Because we might have mentioned this before. I don't think it's something that football has done brilliantly so far. Obviously it's experimenting a little bit in that arena, but you know, football clubs can be a little bit closed in a media Mm. sense. So I guess the other question is, would something like the last dance have happened today with the golden state warriors? We really don't know, but of course, right in, and tell us what you think and we'll be taking and sharing your recommendations at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com.
Yes, we look forward to hearing from you guys. That's all from us today. Just a little reminder of some other good stuff that's on the Ramble this week. On tomorrow's Ramble Meets, Luke is going to be speaking to a former England, Liverpool, Spurs and Fulham midfielder about his storied career. So make sure you listen to that. And we'll be back next Tuesday for more Jules and Andy. Andy, have a good week. Look forward to more football at the weekend and I'll see you next Tuesday. Look forward to it. Thanks, Ramblers. your recommendations at Jules Breach at Andy Brassel Jules and Randy (laughs) sorry (laughs) Jules and Randy can we rebrand can we be rebranded as Jules and Randy please (laughs) this was a Stakhanov production